while you're preparing, I want to just start out this morning with a summary of where we've been for the past week. There we go. Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. We are there. Thank you. So I would never want to just assume that you come in here and you know what Resurrection Sunday is all about. You know what Easter is all about. I would hope that you do, but I wouldn't want to assume that. So I want to start this morning with just a summary of where we've been. I won't go back for the past month, the past year, but just the past week. As last week, we celebrated the King is Coming. Hosanna in the highest, and we celebrated Palm Sunday. And as we celebrated this, as we talked about this and studied this, we found that there could have been up to 2.8 million people that could have come into the city of Jerusalem during this special week of the Passover. And there could have been over 100,000 lambs slaughtered to commemorate this special holiday week. 2.8 million people. Jesus came into town this very week riding in on a donkey's colt. He came as a peacemaker, and he came not as the king or the savior that they might have assumed or they might have been looking for, but no, he came as a peacemaker, and he came on a donkey. Not just a donkey, not just any donkey, but a donkey's colt. And this was a symbol of a king riding into city in peace. This was also to fulfill prophecy. But you know what? The disciples and the people, they didn't recognize this at this time. In fact, a number of the people weren't even there for the right reasons. A number of the people were there celebrating and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, meaning save us. But they were thinking this was a king riding in to go to war for them, to go to battle with them. They were looking for a warrior, somebody to end Roman control, Roman oppression over them, someone to end hunger, violence, or other misfortunes in their lives. And we often look for the same thing through Jesus. But Jesus came riding in on a donkey's colt, symbolizing peace. He would not be lifting a sword and riding in on a horse with a band of soldiers to do battle in the way people wanted or expected. But yes, he did come to do battle. But he came to do battle in a different way. He came to do battle alone and a battle without a sword, a battle with his own body being broken, his side pierced, and blood spilt. And as we work through Palm Sunday, we ask these three questions. We talked about three questions. What type of king are you looking for? What type of savior are you looking for? And what type of savior do you need? Jesus could have came into the world with legions of angels and take out the government, war, famine, poverty. He could still do that today, but it would not have been what they needed. What they needed was a savior. And not a savior from the government or war, but a savior from the bondage of their own sins. What they needed was one final Passover sacrifice, one final blemishless lamb, Jesus Christ, his body broken, his blood spilt for us. And this is where we left off and what led us into Friday. And some of you were here. We've had great attendance the past week. But if you weren't here, again, I just want a quick review of what we went through. It is finished. Words that matter. Words that bring life. Is what you're living for worth him dying for? Friday was a good day. It was a good Friday. See what I did there? Should make sure you're still awake. But we celebrated Good Friday as we also mourn the death of Jesus. 
Now, why would we celebrate the death of Jesus? And how can we celebrate and mourn, cry, and be joyful at the same time? Well, I ask you this. Maybe some of you today have a cross around your neck, a necklace. Maybe some of you have a tattoo on your arm of a cross. Maybe some of you at home have t-shirts with crosses on them. Maybe some of you have wall plaques or crosses hanging on your walls of your house showing Jesus hanging on a cross, the death of Jesus upon a cross. And why do we do all this? It's not that abnormal for us to do. We do it because it reminds us of those famous words, it is finished. Words which matter and words which, which bring life because Jesus needed to die in order to forgive us of our sins. And as he, as he hung upon that cross... And as he died for us, all of our sins were taken upon him to be that one final sacrifice. Some of you have lambs at home. Can you imagine having to sacrifice a lamb just to be forgiven for your sins? We don't have to do that anymore because of Jesus dying on the cross. We needed it all. We needed Jesus' life, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus died and rose again to ultimately pay the price for our sins. And as we read through the Passover week, the events of Jesus' life, events such as Jesus praying in Gethsemane, praying so earnestly, so hard, and being so filled of sorrow that he, he dripped drops of blood. The betrayal and arrest. His disciples fleeing and denying him. The trial and judgment of our Savior. The torture, the pain, the crown of thorns and mocking and scourging and flogging or whipping. And ultimately, the cross and death. But I want you to pay close attention to also how the disciples, all the disciples fled at that time of his need. All the disciples fled because they weren't encouraged by the type of Savior they were seeing. In the garden, at the betrayer, betrayal, they wanted to see Jesus have them take up arms, take up swords, and start a rebellion against the government. But he didn't do that. He allowed his body to be taken. He allowed himself to go all the way to the cross. The disciples all fled. Jesus was basically alone. But we see that something different happens after the resurrection. Something different happens with their life. He's still risen. And this is why we're here today. Good Friday is good because Resurrection Sunday is great. And this brings us to today. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And you know what? You might feel like you've already gotten a little mini sermon. Maybe you feel like I should be done already. I hope you don't feel that way. But you know what? It's okay if you do because I'm okay with that today. Because we are talking about good news. Amen? It is great to know we're talking about good news. We're talking about the cross and the life of Jesus. And you know what? There's more. I feel kind of like an infomercial. But there's more. Just wait. Listen closely and listen to what I have to tell you because there is more today. It doesn't end with the cross. Jesus was buried in the tomb. But it didn't end with the tomb. He didn't just die and, and his bones and body dry up and decompose. No, he was lifted high. And they were unable to find his body. All they found were the linens there waiting. They found the rock, the stone rolled away. And do you think they needed the stone to be rolled away? Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away. 
Jesus is God, the Son of God. We needed the stone to be rolled away because we needed to be able to walk in that tomb and see that Jesus was lifted high. So, Jesus conquered our sins. He conquered death. He rose from the grave, the tomb, and fulfilled all that was prophesied. And we needed him to do this because we needed the resurrection. Just as you cannot have the tomb without the cross and the life which led up to it, you cannot have the death without the resurrection from the tomb. They go together. You need it all. It's a package deal. And I want us to go in today's message with this in mind. He's still risen. If there's one thing you take from today and all day, all week you think about, it's he's still risen. As pastors, as preachers, a lot of times, and I'm to blame too, we give you too much. We give you too many points. And pastors are notorious for saying, today I have a five-point message. I have a ten-point message. But then how many of those points do you remember next week, two weeks from now, three weeks from now? If I asked you what we studied for my first month here, I would hope some of you would remember, but more than likely, some of you would have to go back and look. Now, praise God, you guys, with today's technology, can also just go back and look on YouTube, and you can refresh your mind really well. But not always. So today, I'm not going to give you a lot of points, but what I'm going to give you that I want you to remember is this. He's still risen. Now, I'm going to give you three reasons why the resurrection is still needed today. But whether you remember those reasons or not is not as important as you just remembering that he's still risen. And we praise God for that. So if you're able to, I ask that you stand as we read from Matthew chapter 28. And actually, I just realized I forgot to put that slide in here. But I will read it to you. And if you have a Bible in front of you, you're welcome to reference it, look at it. You're also always welcome to use your cell phone or tablets. I just ask that you... Keep it focused on the Bible or note-taking and not Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of those other fancy social media sites that I'm starting to get too old to know about. Matthew chapter 28. We're actually going to start at 2757. I'm going to read through 2815. Jesus is buried. Matthew 20, 2757. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said, while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. And tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. 
Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the, wom the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met him and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. But let's not stop there. As we read to verse 11 of chapter 28. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest, all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. I won't make you repeat it again just yet. But the first thing we see here, before we even get to the resurrection and why I started us early, is that the chief priests and others preparing, were preparing to prevent Christ's body from leaving the tomb. Why would they do this? Why would they want to set this guard, roll this stone in front of it? They were scared. They knew that Jesus had died upon that cross. They knew that his body was dead, but they were still scared. They wanted to take every precaution they could, short of preventing God from doing his work, to prevent Jesus' body from disappearing on them. We start out also seeing that at the request, Pilate ordered the body of Jesus to be given to them, to properly take care of and place in the tomb. We find that them is Joseph and Nicodemus. If you look at other scriptures, you find that the second person was Nicodemus. And I can only imagine as Joseph and Nicodemus came to Pilate and they asked for Jesus' body, Pilate was surprised. The first reason we see Pilate was surprised when we look at not just this scripture but other scripture is Pilate did not realize Jesus was dead already. The soldiers had, he had actually asked the soldiers, and the soldiers reported to him that, yes, he is dead. But the second reason he was surprised is because generally, people that were put to death and had this punishment of the crucifixion, the cross, they were not allowed the benefit of a burial, a proper burial. They were not given back to family. And even if they were allowed that opportunity, generally people would not actually come for the body because they're already disowned from their family 
disowned from their friends. And yet here we see all these surprises to Pilate, but we see one other surprise that I can only imagine what Pilate thought. Joseph and Nicodemus were members of the Sanhedrin. Now, I'm not sure if that means anything to you, but what that means to me, and I'm able to tell you, is as members of the Sanhedrin, Joseph and Nicodemus were secret disciples of Jesus. They worshipped Jesus, but they were afraid to maybe say so. And as Pilate saw them come in, he's thinking, what? Why would a member of the Sanhedrin want Jesus' body to give him a proper burial? You're part of the reason that Jesus was crucified to begin with. But Joseph and Nicodemus did not agree with the crucifixion. So Joseph used his own tomb that he was working on to request Jesus' body and to give him a proper burial. We also see, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I like this, it says Pilate ordered the body of Jesus to be given to him. I can, I can just envision him having to order it, and I can envision the people around him saying, what? Why are you allowing the, him to take the body of Jesus? You can't do that. We want to keep our eyes on it. We want to make sure that he doesn't truly rise like he said, because we want to push this in all of his disciples' faces. But he ordered it. He said, let him have the body, and they took the body. They did not want anyone to be able to steal the body. They did not want anyone to be able to claim that he had raised from the dead just as he claimed he would. This would give further evidence of who he was and that his claims were true. So next, we see that the chief priest requested the tomb to be made secure and to watch out for anything that would remove the body. So we see that there was a stone rolled in front of the grave, in front of the tomb. But then we also see they didn't stop there, but they put guards in front of the tomb. And not just one, but multiple guards. Why would they do all this? The stone probably weighed enough that one single person couldn't just walk over and roll it out of the way anyways. And I tried to find, and I didn't spend a lot of time, but I tried to find a picture of what that would look like. A true-to-life picture. And I know they're out there, just in my time I couldn't find it. But generally you see a picture like this. And you see a great big stone that's as big as us so that a human being could just walk in. Now, more than likely, it wasn't truly that big. But still, have you ever tried to, in your garden, just lift a rock that's this big out of your garden? It's tough. A few years back, I was doing new fence posts in my backyard. And I remember just trying to lift out the old fence posts, which had concrete blocks about so big on them. And I had to have a friend come over and help me lift some of those out of there because they were so heavy. Can you imagine rolling a stone out of the way, which was big enough, even if a person just crawled into it? It would have been heavy, and it would have been sunk into the dirt. But that wasn't enough. They had to have guards. But Jesus is the Son of God. Nothing would get in the way of the resurrection. Nothing would get in the way of prophecy being fulfilled. The stone could not hold him in. Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away anyways. Like I said, the only reason that the stone had to be rolled away was for us, for the witnesses, to be able to get there and to be able to look inside and see that prophecy was fulfilled. He is risen. He's risen indeed. It would have been impossible for someone to have stolen the body and the truth not get out. Not only were the guards in a giant stone roll, to roll out of the way, 
But this man was famous. This was Jesus Christ who had 100,000 people coming to welcome him in to the city on Palm Sunday. They all knew what happened to him. Someone would have opened their mouth if the body was stolen. Somebody would have bragged, Hey, I got Jesus. Let's, let's, go, let's go make it look like he rose from the grave. Somebody would have bragged. Somebody would have let out the truth. And then as we see later, with all the disciples, the apostles that were martyred for, his, for their faith, for believing in Jesus Christ raising from the dead, one of those people would have gave up the truth and said, I'm lying, just so that they didn't have to go through that persecution and death. But no one did. We also see that some people wanted to claim that they went to the wrong tomb after the resurrection. Oh, surely his body was just stolen. No, his body wasn't stolen. How would that happen? Oh, they just went to the wrong tomb. Come on, this is the son of God that was crucified. They know where he's being, being hidden, where he's being buried. Most historians, even atheists, people who do not believe in Jesus, do not doubt the death and the cross. Without the resurrection, the death of Christ is void of significance, though. We must remember that the resurrection is what brings it all together. Without the resurrection, the death of Christ is void of its significance. <clears throat> this was a very common practice. By the Romans, and it's estimated that there was over 20,000 crucifixions in the day. 20,000 crucifixions. And without the resurrection, it could have been claimed that Jesus was just another one of those men crucified on a cross. Jesus needed to fulfill that final prophecy and to raise from the dead. They doubted, and people still doubt today, people who do not believe in Jesus, that he was the Son of God. They doubt the resurrection. Because it gives us proof to his claims. And I find that somewhat funny. You see, I heard a quote as I was reading in one of my books researching this. I think it was the case for the resurrection. And it gave this quote from Hugh Hefner. Some of you know that name. I'm not going to go in details today who he is. But Hugh Hefner gave this quote as he was being interviewed about, Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? And he said, No. But he said... They asked him, do you believe in the resurrection and that this truly happened? And he said, well, I do not believe in Jesus. But if I was to believe in Jesus and I believed in the resurrection, then I would know that any man that can raise from the, um, the grave and fulfill all these prophecies surely would be the son of God and surely would have been able to forgive us of our sins. But he believed he was just another child of God, not truly the son of God and God himself, part of the Trinity. But isn't that funny? All these people think that they need proof or evidence. They need something to hold in their hands to prove that the resurrection truly happened. But the proof is the fact that there's nothing to hold. The proof is the fact that the body is gone. We needed the resurrection because the empty tomb gives us comfort. It gives us life. This is number one of those three reasons I told you I would give you of why we still need the, re the resurrection today. Why we need to remember that he's still risen. The empty tomb gives us comfort. Without the empty tomb, Jesus would not have conquered death and hell and our sins. It would have just been part of it, but not the whole thing. The good news, as one person said, the good news would actually be no news. But we have the good news. 
because he did it all. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered hell. God wanted to make it obvious, too. He made sure something miraculous happened. As we, as we continue to read, we see that a great earthquake happened. An angel appeared. The stone rolled away to let the witnesses in. The guards were present to see it all. But at the very sight of it all, we're told, And for the fear of him, the guards trembled, so they saw it, but then became like dead men. Like dead men. They weren't killed. They weren't just astonished and in awe. But I truly believe they were unconscious. They were knocked unconscious due to the power and the strength and the awe of seeing what they saw. And yet the guards would be paid off to claim that the body was stolen. Do you realize what that means? Let me... And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of the money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Well, first of all, that just doesn't even make sense. How could, the how could these guards say that we saw the disciples take him away while we were sleeping? Anybody follow along? If they're sleeping, they can't see what happened. Right? But not just this. This would have been impossible. It would have taken several men to roll away the stone. And then to carry the body away. And at night, when they can't see much, it's not like they have flashlights. They, they have little lanterns, little, little pots with a wick in it to light the way. But try holding that and not dropping it, not breaking it while you're carrying Jesus' body by yourself. But without waking the soldiers, without making a noise without bragging about it afterwards to anyone of what they had accomplished. And a body had never been found, for the body was, being, was gone. And the body being gone is proof that Christ is risen, risen indeed. We read from the angel, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. The angel probably wanted to laugh at them and say, why are you here looking for the body of Jesus? Because he's gone. He told you he would be gone. And yet you're here looking for him anyways. Now let me make note. We also see numerous, in numerous passages of scripture that when Joseph and Nicodemus took the body and began to prepare him for the tomb, we see that they bought spices, approximately 75 to 100 pounds of spices and different things to help prepare the body because they didn't embalm the bodies. The Jewish people did not believe in embalming the body. They would allow them to naturally decay in the cloth, but they would apply all these different scents and aromas and different chemicals, different stuff to help in the process. Well, we see that, but we also see Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite of the tomb. I did a lot of research in this, just trying to think, why were they there? And who was there? Were they helping Joseph? And were they helping Nicodemus with this? But I truly believe that they weren't there to help. And even here we see that they were sitting opposite of the tomb. They were away from the tomb. They didn't have time to prepare the body themselves. They didn't know who this Joseph guy was and who this Nicodemus guy was because they were from another part of the country. But they followed him so that they could see where the body was going and so that they could come back later 
to prepare the body themselves. And as they came back to prepare the body, they noticed the stone was rolled away. Now you're, we're setting the scene here. They noticed the stone was rolled away, and they, they go running up to look inside and see what's going on, but they don't even get that far. They see this angel. They hear this earthquake. They see this angel they, that appears like lightning. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And they're astonished. So the angel tries to comfort them. Do not be afraid. What would have happened if they would have been so astonished that like the guards, they were unconscious, they fainted. But they didn't. The angel reassured them, come and see where he lay. That sounds like me, like a lot of us. We like to see proof. We like to see evidence. So the angel allowed that. The angel knew that. God knows that we like to use our, our brains and try and process stuff, our eyes. And even though we, don't, we truly can't process it on our own, we try to. So the angel gave him proof. And no doubt, Jesus is gone. They are told to go quickly and tell the disciples. Why? Again, why? I think possibly, and we also notice they ran to tell the disciples. They're so excited and so astonished by what they saw, they ran. And possibly one reason they were told to run and tell the disciples is to prepare him for his visit. They're told that Jesus will be visiting you. Jesus will be coming. So they're going to prepare people. They also want to get to them before they hear from anybody else, as the guards would soon be waking and telling the, the council. And then the council would try to cover it up. Can you imagine, though, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary running to tell the disciples, the other believers, as they break into a door? I think of this church this morning. I think of what if somebody right now just busted into the doors and just yelled at the top of their lungs, He's risen! He's risen indeed! He's gone! I saw an angel! I heard an earthquake! He looked like lightning! I might have just woke up a few people. But we should be excited, and that's how they were. But I think that it was also because God knew and the angel knew that the council would try and cover this up. So they tell Mary to run and tell the disciples what has happened. They didn't want the disciples to first hear from the council or from anybody else, the body of Jesus is gone because somebody stole it. That would begin to, to affect their mind and their image, their perception of what truly happened. The angel and God knew that the first thing they should hear is they should hear it from a believer and from Mary. I think this applies to our life, too. We must get ahead of the lies. We must tackle them head on. And when we hear of something happening, even when it's ourself, maybe we deceived somebody, we lied, we got ourselves into trouble, we need to be the first ones to run and tell the truth, run and tell what's going on, don't allow, them to con don't allow the lies to continue to spread. Even if it's too late, go head on and tackle them. Christ is risen. And despite the lies that cover up, Jesus would go on to be seen by hundreds of people. By not just his closest disciples, but hundreds of people. All believers. Because Satan, the ruler of the world, had already deceived the rest of the people. And they wouldn't believe at this point anyways. But he was seen by more than 500 believers, is what we're told. And some of them individually, like James and Paul and the other disciples in the upper room. All his believers who fled in the garden 
would be strengthened with the news of his power to conquer death. His disciples would return to him. They would now put all the pieces together and realize, even though they should have realized to begin with, even the centurion, the guard at the cross, said, surely this man was the son of God. Well, now they would fully grasp onto that themselves. These witnesses would be changed from cowardly men hiding in fear to bold men of faith. Witnesses of Jesus, and the people would try to say that they were lying or that it was impossible. People still claim this today. Oh, they were just lying. It's impossible. This couldn't have happened. But think of a police officer. He, after a crime, he'll interrogate the suspects. They're trying to get multiple witnesses, and they're trying to find out what's going on. Police may interrogate three people and get one to admit a lie. But here we have hundreds who have witnessed with their own eyes that Jesus has returned and seen his glorified body. Someone would turn on the rest. Someone would give up the truth. But not here. We have over 500 believers that have seen Jesus Christ. That speaks volumes. And the disciples would not flee again. The empty tomb motivates us. That number two. The empty tomb motivates us. The resurrection and appearance of Jesus to the disciples is so powerful that the disciples, the apostles, would never flee again. They would live and die for Jesus. They would live a life worthy of his death. They lived for Christ. They didn't just die for Christ, but they lived for Christ. And this is also another piece of the evidence that we have that Jesus truly was risen. If they did not truly see Jesus Christ has risen, why would they go through such depths and such persecution, such pain and torture for a lie? We see Matthew, who suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a short sword. We see Mark, who died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John, one of the only ones that died naturally but not without pain, faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. John was then sentenced to the mines of the prison island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. It's believed that he died as an old man, the only apostle, to die peacefully. Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. According to church tradition, it was because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus Christ had died. James was not an initial believer until the resurrected Jesus came to his side and he saw him for himself. He was thrown over a hundred feet down from the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat him to death. Note that this was the same pinnacle, or believed to be the same pinnacle, where Satan had taken Jesus during his temptation. Then James, the son of Zebedee, who was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry, as a strong leader of the church, James was beheaded at Jerusalem. Now here's something interesting. It's been passed down through the generations that it said the Roman officer who guarded James watched amazed as James defended his face at his trial. Later, the officer walked beside James to the place of execution 
And overcome by conviction, he declared this new, his new faith to the judge and knelt beside James to accept the beheading of the Christian himself. The, 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 the officer who guarded him could not help but see God in him and became a believer just to be killed by his side. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed for our Lord in present-day Turkey. Bartholomew was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led towards the cross, Andrew saluted it. And, in the, and said these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he expired. Thomas was stabbed with his spear during a missionary journey. Jude was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas, was stoned and then beheaded. And Paul who initially was a church enemy himself, a, an enemy of the believers, the disciples, was converted by the resurrected Jesus. He was then tortured and beheaded by the evil emperor. And we know of his torturing as he was imprisoned several times, not just once, and he continued to live for Christ. Paul endured a lengthy imprisonment, which allowed him to write many of the epistles. I tell you all this because I think that the empty tomb should also motivate us personally. We see that the disciples fled his side in the garden at the betrayal. The disciples fled. Jesus died practically alone at the cross with everybody mocking him and saying, crucify him, crucify him. And yet we see that his disciples allowed him to return. I mean, Jesus allowed his disciples to return to his side. And these disciples, the disciples were forever, forever changed. Forever changed. He's still risen today, though. And as we remember this, we remember that on this day, we remember Jesus' resurrection. We, too, should be forever changed. We should be celebrating that he's still risen today. It's important for us to take this to heart. In John, we see that the disciples ran to see that he, he had risen. They were so excited by the news and to verify the news. And then they ran to tell everyone... We must not allow ourselves to doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We too must run with excitement over the news. We must not allow society to diminish the importance of the day. Listen to this. If we doubt one part of the life of Jesus, then we lose the significance of it all. If we doubt one part of, this, of the resurrection, the death, the crucifixion, one part of the life of Jesus, we lose the significance of it all. We need it all because all of it is fulfilling prophecy. All of it is what saved us. All of it is what led to Jesus conquering death, hell, and us having victory over sin. We have victory today. God did resurrect Jesus. And this should motivate us to live and die for him. Daily, we should take, our, take up our cross. We should change our ways. We should put to death our sins and our old life and let it stay in the past and look to the future. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever else you may do, may you glorify God in it. May you become less and Christ become more. 
May you do your work of Jesus, the work of Jesus forevermore, sharing the gospel to all nations and loving God and loving others as yourself. May we preach to the world the message which is filled with hope and not empty promises. The tomb was empty, but that there is not an empty promise. It's a fulfilled promise. This gives us hope and it gives us proof that the man who lived and died upon the cross truly was the Son of God. And the empty tomb assures us. The empty tomb gives us assurance. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what leads us to having life ourselves in eternity with him. We therefore have assurance in our suffering and ministry that it's not in vain. And we must never forget this. And when you're being persecuted, when you're going through struggles of your own, when you're angered, when you're depressed, when you're just stressed out or frustrated, we need to remember the life of Jesus. We need to remember that he died for you. He raised for you. He raised for me. We need to remember the beatitude, that blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You know what I also see in that verse? Blessed are the peacemakers. And I turn forward to the next, the next page of my Bible, and I look through there. I see that we're also called to love our enemies, pray for our enemies. Jesus prayed for his enemies. He prayed for the soldiers as, he was, as they were nailing him to the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus forgave the man next to him on the cross. He said, I will see you in paradise. Despite all of our problems, all of our persecution, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you feel, if you feel like you're meek or not, whether you feel like you're persecuted or not, you can be a peacemaker. Remember that you are a child of God, and he's there with you. I ask you to not just remember that, not just go on your, to hide in your corner and say, thank you, Lord, for all this. But I ask you to pray for your enemies. I ask you to love your enemies. And you know what? It's not me asking you, it's Jesus. Jesus is asking you to do that. Maybe that enemy is doing this because they don't know Jesus like you do. They don't believe in him dying for their sins. They're holding on to their past, their problems. Satan's holding on to them. And God can use you to witness to them, to bring them over into a life abundant in love and forgiveness. I ask you to pray for your enemies. Remember that you have this assurance of life, but they may not. Show them the way. Be comforted in knowing that you are a follower of Christ, the one who conquered death, hell, and sin. He continues to watch after you every day. He continues to die for you in your sins each and every single day. And he continues to rise every day. He's still risen today. He is risen. Risen indeed. Thank you. Let us pray. And I ask you that if you do not know Christ, maybe today's the day you need to surrender your life to him. Do it as I pray. And come tell somebody, whether it be me or somebody around you, and stick around for the Easter brunch. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day, and we celebrate that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Lord, thank you, and let us not allow the world or Satan or his armies to get in the way of us celebrating who you are and what you have done. You didn't just come as a man and live as a man. 
But you died upon that cross and you rose. You were the son of God. And we all know this now and we have proof. There's no way that any of it could be false. We have proof in the resurrection. Lord, may we celebrate today. Thank you. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.